0: Is the twenty second of February, twenty twenty two? So the date is two twenty two twenty two. Paul and I are going to Paul, who is the producer of this program. He is going to make much of that in the music today. So that is your okay, a little bit of in advance, you know, just a little. Texas two step. I don't know. Oh, I haven't thought about that one. All right. Well, I give you got time to work on that now. Okay, I'll work on it. So good morning. I'm Carmen Leverage. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is a Faith Radio. Sober headlines uh, today out of Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered Russian troops across the border. I am framing it uh, this way. The Russian military has crossed the border into the sovereign nation of Ukraine. You're going to hear that um, or read that today in a variety of ways. You may hear that Russia has sent, quote unquote, peacekeeping troops into two quote-unquote separatist pro-Moscow regions in eastern Ukraine, recognizing their quote-unquote independence. I'm putting quote marks around all those things because uh, the headlines that you read or hear today related to this are going to be dependent on whether or not you believe Russian's assertion, the Russian president's assertion in a, in a speech given yesterday that these two regions of Ukraine um, have always been a part of Russia and should be recognized as a part of Russia, uh, uh, as independent, and ultimately, I mean, ultimately, what he wants is that for them to be recognized as part of Russia. Um, in a speech that the Russian president gave yesterday, he did not outline his precise intentions, in relationship to Ukraine, but he did expound the Russian view that Ukraine's borders were drawn arbitrarily, um, and that they only exist because of the USSR's hurried breakup in 1991, which Vladimir Putin still regards as, um, you know, like the the worst thing that happened in all of world history. So Mr. Putin said that, uh, the borders ignored deep civilizational ties between uh, Russia and Ukraine, particularly Russian people who found themselves living in the sovereign nation of Ukraine. And so he questioned the legitimacy of an independent Ukrainian state, saying, quote, Ukraine for us is not just a neighboring country. It is an integral part of our own history, culture, and spiritual space. Uh, he addressed his speech not only to Russia but also to quote our compatriots in ukraine he 's talking there about people who are ethnically Russian but live in ukraine so um this is an important conversation for us to be paying attention to. Uh, I thought that it would behoove us to talk with someone from Ukraine, and so Paul has lined up for us a student from Cedarville University who grew up in Ukraine. Her parents serve as missionaries there. And so in um, later in today's show, uh, actually at the top of the next hour, we're going to talk with Abigail Rist. And so you can be praying in advance um, for her as she joins us. I think that um, from a Christian worldview, as we consider all that is happening not just by the aggression of Russia against its neighbor Ukraine, but in other places around the world as well. I I think we can um, desire to focus very, 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 very close to home, right? We can be really concerned with ours and, you know, mine, mine and ours. But this is a small world after all. The globalists are not wrong on that point. We are an interdependent globe. And not, that's not just about communications, which, by the way, uh, AT&T is shutting down all 3G today, which means if you're listening on a 3G device, you're going to need to upgrade. It is a small world after all. That's not just like a Disney ride. It, it is reality. And it speaks, I think, for Christians to the hope, the reality um, that God has got the whole world in his hands. He has got the whole world in his hands. God doesn't just see it all. God cares about each one in every place right now and the circumstances of your life. So, yes, God cares about the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia and all the people from east to west in between. And God cares about you. He's got the whole world in his hands, and he'd like to have you in the palm of his hand today as well. So as we pray the news, let's also um, just acknowledge we need to be sure we have placed ourselves in that most sacred and safe of spaces, in the very palm of the hand of God. Mark Caleb Smith is going to join us next. We're going to talk about some national headlines. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Laverge, and we'll be right back. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Um, Let me just tell you, Mark, that the person from Cedarville University people are super duper most excited about hearing from today is a
2: student. Um, Yeah, yeah, me too.
0: I know. I mean, we're totally excited that you're here and thrilled to talk (laughs) with you. But I'm like, oh, my first Cedarville person is not Abigail. It's Mark, who I love.
2: (laughs) I appreciate that. I wish I could tune in and listen to Abigail myself, but I will be teaching when she's on air.
0: That's OK. We're going to record it and we'll send all you an right. MP3 and all those good things. Yeah. Um, OK. So um, when when you think about what's happening in the United States today and sort of the temperature of the conversation, you and I both read a piece by Ken Burns. Now, he is a yep. documentary dude and he yep. has you know, done a lot of documentaries about the history of America and he has one coming out. But he has made some statements about the future of America that I thought might provide interesting fodder for conversation today.
2: Yeah, I, you know, Ken Burns has never really struck me as a very political guy. Um, he doesn't get involved in current issues and doesn't speak out a whole lot. But um, as you said, he's really seems to be taking a position now that uh, we have problems on our hands um, and that we need uh, a certain kind of citizen, you know, to step forward to solve those problems. Uh, the documentary that he's getting ready to release is on Benjamin Franklin, and he's basically arguing that we need a lot of Benjamin Franklins running around the United States looking to uh, help solve problems. Um, and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting perspective. I mean, uh, you read it. I'm curious what you think about it as well because uh, it, I think he's right that we need a certain kind of person. I just don't know how many of those people actually exist. <laughs>
0: The part that I, um, I that I honed in on, and again, um, Mark Caleb Smith and I are just reflecting together on a piece we've read in Variety. So you could read it at variety dot com, and it's um, Ken Burns offering this quote: "Urgent warning: Why he's scared for America's future." So I'm not um, I'm not quite as scared as he is. I'm a little more hopeful, and I right. thought that when he talked about revolution, that was the part sure. in which uh, you know I thought that's important. It's important because he's been a student of you know, how the the United States has functioned in the past. He talks about history being painful. I thought that was um, an interesting approach. And then he talks about the complexity of Benjamin Franklin, which I also think is a good word, right? People are complex, they're not flat characters. That, I think, is helpful. The part um, that I and I'm trying to find the exact quote, but it's the part that I really liked was that he talks about there being all these individuals who have all these individual, you know, like areas of expertise and things that they're really good at. But we need the he doesn't use this term, but this is my term because this is a Colossians one term. We need the laminin people. We need the people who hold it all together in the same way that Jesus holds it all together. Now, Ken Burns is not going to say that, but Carmen LeBurge can say that.
2: Yeah, I agree. He's, when he was talking about the, the founding generation, he talked about good people like Washington, smart people like Jefferson and Hamilton and Madison, and then really passionate people like John Adams and Samuel Adams. But somebody needs to come along to bring those people together toward a common cause and to sort of deal with personalities, deal with problems, be a buffer Uh, Be sort of this person that's indispensable in the room, you know, they may not be the smartest, they may not be the most passionate, they may not be the most uh, the best leader, but they can make people stick together in a way that gets things done. Um, And yeah, he portrays Franklin like that. And I I think it's an interesting take on Franklin. Um, Mm -hmm. Franklin, I think the one thing that he kind of discounts in this a little bit, Franklin's world famous. Right. I mean, Franklin isn't just some guy walking into a room. He's a scientist. He's a printer. uh, He's known in Europe. He's known in America. And so, yeah, he's a glue guy, but he's a lot more than just a glue guy. He's a famous person uh, who can sort of demand respect just by based on who he is. Um, I think an interesting thing to think through is what role do people of faith play? You know, are we glue people? Are we the kinds of people that bring people together to get things done? Or are we part of the division? Um, and I, I think in his mind, he's looking for people of unity, you know, people who mm-hmm. can um, cast a common vision, and can build bridges to people who may disagree. I, I think ideally, like you said, ideally, we should be we should function that way as believers. That's what we're called to, to be. But you know, I worry, we're just we've sort of been folded into the culture war, we're picking sides. We're not that interested right now in sort of um, building bridges. Uh, it's a, I think it's a really interesting perspective. And I think Ken Burns's view of American history, as you said, it's a really grand view based on all these subjects that he studied pretty extensively, Civil War, um, jazz, baseball. I mean, he has these really interesting view of things. Um, I think it's worth listening to.
0: So um, thank you to Reverend Castro, uh, who has offered this on our text line this morning. Um, and we will... Um, We will let this particular quote from C.S. Lewis come, which comes from the Screwtape Letters, um, where Screwtape makes a toast, democracy does not like great men. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Um, I would uh, recommend reading this piece from Ken Burns as a way of, or actually it's an interview with him, um, as a way of getting into the cultural conversation of the day. Um, Burns rightly notes that there's nothing that guarantees that America will endure. Nothing lasts forever, he says. The question is, do we wish to be complicit in the end of this American experiment? Um, Good conversational fodder, fodder, um, a little negative in terms of where he sees things headed, but maybe that's because he doesn't have a redemptive worldview. So maybe we could be praying that God would put someone in his life um, who would help him to see there, uh, there are redemptive possibilities as well, not just by human agency, but by the agency of the one who literally holds it all together. If you want that reference, look in Colossians chapter 1 at verse 17. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith and I will be right back. We're going to talk about some race-related headlines across the country and the question of hate in the American heart. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. T for two and two for T just me for
1: you and you for me. Continuing
0: our conversation uh, with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith on this T for Two Tuesday. Tuesday, two twenty two twenty two. I don't know. We're going to have to make something of that. Uh, Mark, there are a number of headlines right now. I will um, read four of them. One is related to Ahmaud Arbery, young African-American man who was pursued, shot, and killed by three white men in Georgia, They have already been convicted of his murder, but now stand trial in federal court charged with hate crimes. Kim Potter, the former Minneapolis police officer who accidentally shot and killed uh, Dante Wright when he resisted arrest and she mistakenly pulled um, and shot her gun instead of her taser, has um, been sentenced. Uh, The death of Amir Locke continues to be a subject of conversation between law enforcement and and those who think that no-knock warrants... um, are basically just dangerous. And then also in Minnesota, we're watching the civil rights trial of the three former police officers involved in the death of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020. There's a lot out there in this um, Black History Month at the intersection of being Black in America and the question of whether or not, I don't know, we have a particular kind of hate in our heart.
2: Uh, I think that's that's an interesting way to look at it um I think there are a lot of things going on here um you know we We are so far removed from uh massive reforms and civil rights in America in the nineteen sixties you know and you kind of thought maybe we would be past um some of these tensions to some extent uh but certainly the tensions are still here and and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize, you know, what you just read. You just read uh, four different cases, horrible circumstances, awful things have happened. Um, but I, I do think sometimes we, we allow these individual cases to sort of dominate our thinking in these areas, as opposed to, you know, remembering, you know, we have a country with 330 plus million people. Uh, we have police officers on a beat every day. Um, and thankfully there are a handful of cases as opposed to, dozens of cases, hundreds of cases, or thousands of cases that are like this. And so as awful as they are, um, I think that we have actually made a lot of progress um, in this area. But I I think when you think back to the George Floyd incident and the uh, uprising that that caused and the demonstrations that it caused, um, I honestly thought we would have made a little bit more reform by now. And these cases, I think, highlight the fact that we really have not seen the kind of reform that we expected Uh, We have not seen no-knock warrants on the whole um, taken out. We have not seen reform on qualified immunity. Um, And so, yeah, I I, I can understand why people are frustrated by it. And I I can understand why they look at this and say, you know, this is just never going to stop. Um, And I don't know what it's going to take to push more reform into the system. You know, as you and I have talked before, there's a big movement there um, last year in particular, but it got swallowed up in this idea of defunding the police which just Mm -hmm. simply allowed opponents to rally into this and to squash reform saying, well, nobody wants to defund the police, so let's just move along. Um, And right now, things like no-knock warrants are just kind of getting lost in the shuffle.
0: If you're not familiar with the uh, conversation about no-knock warrants, that's N-O, and then the word knock, K-N-O-C-K, you can actually just Google that and find out more uh, what's going on in relationship to that across the country um, and in your own community as well. Um, Mark, when I think about the way that individual citizens like you and me um, can influence these conversations, I, I I feel like part of it is recognizing these are individual um, stories. They are tragic. Right. They are relatively few in number. We wish they were zero. We want them to be zero. Right. I certainly want there to not be a headline like this out of my own community. And I feel like this is one of those Politics really is ultimately local. And if right. I'm not having this conversation with my most local of police department, you know, my, mo- right. my most right. local, at the most local of levels, if I'm not, if I'm just reading these headlines and wringing my hands um, about what's happening nationally or, you know, only on social media, and I'm not actually engaged at the most local of levels, I'm not participating in this becoming better.
2: No, that's that's exactly right. You know, I live in a I live in a village, the village of Cedarville. Right, we have a few thousand people in our village. Um, We know all the police officers; they know all of us. Um, We can have conversations. The mayor, the mayor of the village, cuts my hair. He's the barber here in Mm -hmm. Cedarville, and so that means I can have conversations with these folks about these kinds of issues. Now, granted, it's just a few thousand people. It makes it easier for me to do that, but I think that's a good model. Um. Get to know these people, talk to them, try to build relationships with them so that when concerns come up, we can try to be reasonable about this as opposed to just sort of folding it into, well, I'm pro-police or I'm anti-police or I'm pro-civil rights or I'm not really interested in more civil rights. Now, this is an issue. Let's look at what happened. Let's think through whether there was um, blame, and if there's blame, let's talk about it and figure out what took place as opposed to just sort of throwing up our hands and then sort of chunking it into the machine, the social media – um, the social media culture war machine that just seems to eat up everything that we touch right now.
0: Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a school resource officer and, you know, just sort of one of those, hey, you know, thanks for what you're doing and, um, you know, and being here and uh, acknowledging we wish we didn't have to have resource officers at schools. So That's right. great. That's right. um, but also just taking the moment to say to him, hey, I know you can't, you know, identify people by name, but um, if there are people in our community that are just right there on the edge, right there on the fringe, like, how do we find out who they are so that we can serve them in advance of there being a a real problem? Um, And he said, you, you can, as a citizen, go to your police department and ask that question. You can go. You can go and ask that question. And so I appreciate that. Like, I appreciate that the police do know. They know who in our community um, tends to go off their meds and has real problems engaging with society. And, you know, maybe that's a place where uh, we as Christians could more effectively engage if we just cared more and created a little more margin in our lives to create the space to go actually engage.
2: I think it's a good way to put it, Carmen, and when you say it, that's sort of really what the church ought to be, right? I mean, the church is about discipling um, and equipping the saints, but at a horizontal level, the church is about reaching out and loving neighbors. And loving neighbor can sometimes be difficult and uncomfortable, especially when you're dealing with people in this kind of situation. Uh, but if you ever needed love, it's, it's at that moment. And I'm yeah. not sure we all, always think in those terms.
0: That's exactly right. Um, as always, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Blessings on you in your little village. Um, we speak a blessing onto each and every person listening right now in whatever little village you're in across the country or around the world. Uh, completely random, today is Tuesday, two twenty two twenty two. 22 22 Lori texting in at 877-933-2484 has some suggestions. Two tickets to paradise. Two hearts beat as one. You know what are you thinking about on this Tuesday, two twenty two twenty two? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
1: Elementary, my dear, two times two is four. Elementary, my dear, two times three is six.
0: Elementary. All right, I love that school. How little schoolhouse rock! Uh, here's what I was inspired to do on this two twenty two twenty two. I looked up some two, two twenty two. Because there are no two twenty-two, by the way. Uh, I looked up some two two twenty-two verses in the Bible. So here is what I got for you: Second Samuel two two and Second Samuel two twenty-two. Now I am going to read them in context because, you know, you just you just carve one little verse out, and sometimes, well, in this case, they would be good. Second Samuel two two, all by itself, says, "The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer." So that's awesome, but I'm going to read it in context, verses 1 to 3. So this is 2 Samuel 2, 1 to 3, but, you know, 2, 2, 2 not 22, which we'll get to in just a second. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So that is 2 Samuel chapter 2, the opening verses. And then, because it's 2.22.22, we're going to scroll down to 2 Samuel 2.22 and read this, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and not wickedly departed from my God, which read in context requires us reading verse 21. So 2 Samuel 2, 21 and 22. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. So have a little fun today with the 2 22, 22. Um, You know, do a little for I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do with your two, twenty-two, twenty-two, but let's uh, let's see what we can do um, with it redemptively. Ryan Baumberg works with the Radiance Foundation. He wrote a column um, recently in the Christian Post, sharing the missing lessons that he thinks we need for Black History Month as a Christian. So we're going to have that conversation up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Cause I'm just a tell about well, each one of us, um, we see the world, we experience the world through our own lived experience, through those um, realities that we inhabit that, you know, not everybody else inhabits. So you know, you you were born the way you were born uh, in the circumstances in which you were born to the family to whom you were born, and you may or may not have been raised by that same um, family. And so this conversation um, with Ryan uh, Baumberger, which we may or may not actually have Ryan, we're trying to get him on the line now. Um, And so we're going to talk with him about uh, his reflections on Black History Month. He posted these at the org, and it's just called five lessons five crucial lessons mainstream media won't give you for black history month um the author is Ryan Scott Bomberger and he says of himself in um in the open that biologically he's both black and white uh that he is uh, adopted he's also i happen to know uh uh not only an adoptee, he's an adopter. Um, and he is adopted as uh, a Christian as well. Um, and in this, uh, in this conversation about the things that the mainstream media misses and doesn't talk about related to Black History Month, all of those threads are worth pulling. And so we're uh, privileged to welcome here today from the Radiance Foundation, Ryan Bomberger. Ryan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Good morning. It's good to be here.
0: It's great to have you with us. Would you just share with us these five lessons? I really appreciated um, that you were willing to kind of wade into this territory. It is Black History Month. Um, Talk with us uh, about the five lessons we're not likely to hear from the mainstream media.
1: Well, I don't know if people notice, but mainstream media doesn't exactly want us to know the truth about things. They are literally always colorizing the narrative. So I wrote this article, The Five Crucial Lessons Mainstream Media Won't Give You for Black History Month. And for me, obviously there could be more than five, but these are the five most crucial. Number one being every person is human, every human is a person. And I think that's one of the most valuable lessons when you think of people of of my complexion, the struggle that we've had in America is because we've been denied our personhood. And Mm any time any group of people get to decide the the personhood or the humanity of another group of people, historically, it never, ever goes well. I mean, it always ends in discrimination and death. And so when we see and embrace the humanity and equal worth of every member of the human family, every single one of us benefit. So that's lesson one. And if you want that's, me to go on.
0: Yeah, but that's so good, right? And let me just say, that's so godly. Yes, I mean your all of your observations are so rooted in uh, a biblical worldview, and uh, I just so genuinely appreciate that. All right, so every person is human; every human is a person. What's lesson two?
1: Lesson two is something that we see over and over again, even in our own lives. But we saw it through the civil rights movement: we are stronger than our circumstances. You know, people get so discouraged when they look at. All the circumstances around us and you name the the issue you name the injustice and we feel like this is impossible and people give up well look how long it took for slavery to be abolished and yet the impossible happened with slavery the impossible happened with jim crow the impossible happened with kkk violence but our strength in the face of evil is drawn from something far greater than ourselves thank heaven it's drawn from from god philippians four thirteen says i can do all things not just some things but i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and when i look at the 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 remnant that constantly stood against evil and we look at the civil rights movement and it stood against evil in a non-violent way and actually a loving way that's why the civil rights movement was a gospel-centric movement and that's why there was such radical and beautiful transformation so we are stronger than our circumstances
0: such a good reminder today, um, particularly, you know, for those of us who, we cover the headline news, we're seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. And sometimes that can feel um, really fatiguing, right? There can, there can be a lot of headlines that point, in, point toward the darkness. And this is a really helpful reminder that we're people of light, um, that light prevails and actually shines most brightly in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. I think that this, um, this reminder that we're stronger than our circumstances—it's a—it's um, a good reminder in Black History Month, but it's just a good reminder um, for the days in which we all live all the time. That's so good. All right, we are talking with uh, with with Ryan Bomberger. Um, he is with the Radiance Foundation. If you want to find the the piece we're talking about today, these five lessons, just go to the Radiance Foundation dot o-r-g. You're looking for five lessons. Um, Ryan, the third one that you lift up here is We Are One Human Race. Let's talk about that.
1: Yes, and this comes just from so much personal experience. I grew up in a tiny little family of 15. Ten of us were <laughs> adopted, and we're white, black, we're mixed, we're Native American, Vietnamese. And, you know, my parents never raised us you know pretending that they didn't see our color they loved our color we love our color all these hues black to white and every human between are beautiful and having grown up in a family like that i i learned firsthand the foundational truth and the biblical truth that we are one human race you know Acts seventeen twenty-six states that from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth from one man and yet we continue to divide ourselves with this fake human construct, which many people don't realize. Kind of emerged in 1758 um, from Carl Linnaeus, who was a botanist and the father of taxonomy. You know, the, the type of scientist who groups people and and species into different categories. And it was such a destructive one, and it was an incredibly negative one. <laughs> that's how it started. But well, that's that's the thing about evil; uh, it it starts that way and just continues to grow and fester that we're one human race. And here we are in 2022 and you, you know, we have MLK Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who told us about color mattering, um, or not to judge each other by color, I'm sorry, but to judge each other by our character. And now we've got that reversal is that everything is by color today. Every single thing is by color and character doesn't matter at all. Character is irrelevant. And that is so insanely destructive. It has never benefited humankind to separate ourselves by color and to separate ourselves by this this fake construct of race. It's not biblical. In fact, the only time you find the word race in the Bible, it's uh, to run the race. So it is not a biblical construct. Did God create us diversely? Absolutely. But he never gave us this this framework to which we are constantly separating ourselves. He created color for us to enjoy and celebrate but never to segregate or separate ourselves by it.
0: All right. Ryan uh, and his wife, Bethany are the creative energy behind the Radiance Foundation. They have a podcast called Life Has a Purpose. The website is radiancefoundation.org. Um, and I just, um, I like this language. And so um, before we talk about the the last two things, um, on on this wonderful list of the five crucial things that uh that mainstream media is not going to tell us related to Black History Month and it's just such great talking points and thinking points for um every Christian listening right now but i want you to tell us what it, what is a what is a factivist cuz that's a great word
1: factivist is me you know <laughs> I love understanding what's actually going on. And I'm passionate about fighting injustice. I'm passionate about loving people as Christ has loved us. The problem is we have a society that wants to fight against things and wants to be very, you know, wants to be an activist without knowing the facts. And we see the disastrous consequences of that. We have seen it, you know, in the summer of 2020, BLM and Antifa, and acting without the facts. And so as a factivist, I want to know the context. Because context gives us clarity, and as Christians, it helps us act responsibly in in what's going on around us. So that's why one of our slogans is "less activism, more factivism."
0: Okay, I love that. I'm um. I'll just you know confess. I'm now like scrolling around on your website, theradiancefoundation.org. and I'm like, okay, now I'm looking at this headline from just a couple of days ago. Yes, Planned Parenthood is the leading killer of Black lives. Um, Planned Parenthood erases Black lives from history 360 times a day. Um, This Black and pro-life conversation is a really good one. If you're listening right now and you're like, "I, I need a sane voice out there at the intersection of this conversation about um, being black and being pro life. Uh, well, I think we have just discovered your landing pad. It is theradiancefoundation.org. Um, Ryan, we're going to continue our conversation about the five crucial lessons mainstream media won't give you for Black History Month. Going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're talking with Ryan Bomberger from the Radiance Foundation, and we'll be right back.
1: Today. I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. i run too far to still be the same. See who I was, i give him away today.
0: All right, we're talking with Ryan Bomberger. You can find him at theradiancefoundation.org. Um, and yes, I'm with you. And just texted in our text line 877-933-2484. I just want you to have Ryan on all the time. So, you got you got a heart emoji, you got two smiley faces and I believe that's an exclamation point. So there you go. That's a lot that's a lot of love from Ann this morning. Um I I want um we're going to finish the list of the five things because this is really important these five lessons. And so let's do this. Let's um again, you can find us at theradiancefoundation.org. We're reading the five lessons that the mainstream media is not going to tell us uh, or not going to remind us of during Black History Month. We have talked through the first three. Every person is a human, every human is a person. Number two, we're stronger than our circumstances. Number three, we are one human race. And now we've arrived at number four on the list. Ryan, what's, uh, what's number four on this list?
1: Evil flourishes when the church is silent. You know, I can recall growing up in church and a non-denominational church most of my life and never hearing the word abortion one single time. Now There are churches out there who do address that, and I applaud them, I applaud those pastors who aren't concerned about losing members of their congregation or losing money. Uh, I'd rather have them be fearful of God than be fearful of any other human being. But You know, one of my foundational verses is Proverbs 31, eight through nine. It's, it's like my life calling, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and ensure justice for those being crushed. And in this case, when it comes to abortion, for instance, literally being crushed. And I Mm. I recall the letter from Birmingham jail where Martin Luther King Jr. was so frustrated with Christian leaders. There were some Christian leaders, obviously, who who fought um, alongside MLK, but there were many who were just quiet. And I love this quote from me. He says, the contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. That was his quote. Well, today you just look at just an array of social issues, which social issues are just the manifestation of sin. It's it's the result of sin, but look at issues like abortion and LGBT pseudoscience and human trafficking, religious freedom, the list goes on and on. And so many times the church chooses to be silent. You know, I don't wanna hear an apology, you know, 50 years from now from some denomination. We are so sorry that we didn't engage. Who wants to hear that? Get involved Mm -hmm. now. God's justice is needed now. Biblical justice is needed now. So evil flourishes when the church is silent. And
0: then this fifth lesson on the list, forgiveness is better than revenge. Amen.
1: You know, as Christians, obviously, the only way that we can become God's children is through forgiveness. And it's amazing how reluctant so many of us are to extend that to others, especially with today's culture of, you know, with with Black Lives Matter and critical race theory, which has no forgiveness or reconciliation at the heart of it at all. In fact, it looks at Christianity as hostile to their movements and to their ideology, which is a real problem for for Christians. But you think of those who were enslaved. In 1872, there was what was called or dubbed the Ku Klux Klan Act. It was an act trying to quell the, the violence of you know, KKK violence, and good black Republican congressmen who proclaimed, quote, we have open and frank hearts toward those who were our former oppressors and taskmasters. We foster no enmity now, and we desire to foster none for their acts in the past to us, nor to the government we love so well, end quote. Oh my goodness, this is not what you're hearing from so much of the, you know, the evangelists of perpetual victimhood today. And the Mm -hmm. whole thing with critical race theory and the oppressor-oppressed paradigm is that there's perpetual atonement. One, because they don't believe in Christianity. They don't believe that Christ was enough. They don't believe that actually Christ's sacrifice meant anything. So that's why there's the need for perpetual atonement, perpetual guilt. This is nonsense. We have all fallen black, white, and every human between. And it's our responsibility as Christians to understand that we're modeling Christ. And when he died on that cross, guess what? He died for his oppressors, his actual oppressors. He had, you okay, know, we, where words, have you been Father my beginner. whole life? Like, seriously,
0: okay. where, have you been hiding or I have just not been paying attention? Because you are, uh-huh. you're speaking the truth. You're doing so in a way that is authentic and winsome and honest to God, which is, you know, the, the truth I want to be hearing. Um, so I need to know, like, where are you and Bethany? And, and we're and, and at some point, we have to have the conversation about your parents, because I feel like adopting 15 children is completely crazy. Like I, but like, but also so amazing and wonderful. So let's start with like, like physically, where in the world are
1: you? We are based in Northern Virginia, about an hour west of D.C., and we began right. the Radiance Foundation uh, in 2009. So this is our 13th year in the Radiance awesome. Foundation. And we've been all over the country. We do live keynote events at colleges, Harvard, Princeton, University of Notre Dame. We raise millions for pregnancy centers. Uh, the list goes on and on. We speak at schools. Sometimes we're loved, sometimes we're not loved, but mm-hmm. we keep speaking the truth because our heart is to illuminate that every human life has God-given purpose.
0: Okay. And then you have these parents who adopted, How did are all 15 of you and your siblings adopted?
1: Well, there are 15 in our family. There are 13 kids. So they had three homemade and then they, um, they adopted like 10 of us. That's a nice way of saying it. I was the first it. one. Yeah. I was the first one adopted. And every year there was like a, you know, a new flavor added to the family, but that- I mean, they you know, thought growing if this up, kid
0: is so good, let's, let's go get us some more.
1: If they had waited until I was a teenager, we'd probably be like a family of six. But no, they they just loved. And that love, people, you know, people ask, Well, what inspired them to adopt? And I would say it was love and brokenness. My mom was, you know, abandoned temporarily by her parents as they were separating. Her father was an alcoholic and she was placed in a children's home. And that's where she got the heart for adoption. And we were all loved like crazy. And that's why I am who I am. My father, the most amazing man that I've ever known, Henry Bomberger, and my mom, Andrea Bomberger, the most amazing mother I you know I could ever have asked for. They loved all of us because they didn't see um how we came to be. In fact, I was conceived in rape, but I was adopted in love. They didn't they mm-hmm. didn't focus on how I came to be. They focused on who God meant for me to be. Okay. And now I'm an and adopted my- father with four kiddos. <laughs> so
0: I know, and I so love that. And in honor of your beloved dad on the anniversary of his passing, you launched the Henry and Andrea Bomberger Adopted and Loved Fund that I'm just now reading about. So um, will you come back because we're out of time today, but I, there are now so many things I want to talk with you about. Would you be willing to come back and talk with us again?
1: Would love to. Absolutely.
0: Okay. You're just precious. Can I pray for you and Bethany and the Radiance Foundation?
1: Yes, please.
0: Father, thank you so much for my brother, Ryan. Um, Thank you for this. Precious opportunity today to meet one another. Um, thank you for the gift of this technology. Thank you um, for the light of salvation. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for conceiving of us in your heart of hearts. Thank you that Ryan is so fearfully and wonderfully made um, and thank you, Father, for the way in which you have filled him with your holy Spirit and are using him and using Bethany to advance your kingdom purposes in this generation. Give them um, an ever wider uh, ever wider platform. Um, to share your love with so many others. Thank you for his mom and dad, Henry and Andrea. Um, Bless this new effort um, to draw together resources to fund others to build families through adoption. Thank you for that vision um, as well. So, uh, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Send us forth today um, into the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Ryan, what an absolute joy. You guys can find Ryan at theradiancefoundation.org. He's on all the socials as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. for all of you texting in um, all of your encouraging words um, for just this new knowledge. Like, right, God's got so many wonderful people out there that he's connected with doing many, many great things, and it's so fun to discover one another and then to be able to celebrate the way God is speaking the truth and advancing his kingdom purposes through so many people through so many efforts in so many places and spaces and environments. So, yes, thanking God. I'm thanking God right along with you. And, yes, we will have Ryan Bomberger from the Radiance Foundation back, I, I promise. Um, so we have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. And in the next hour, we're going to lead off with a conversation with Abigail Rist. Abigail grew up in Ukraine. Her parents are missionaries there. She is now a junior at Cedarville University, and she's going to join us at the top of the next hour to share her perspective on what is now war in Ukraine uh, following the incursion across that nation's sovereign border by the Russian army yesterday. We're going to talk about um, how her faith is sustaining her, and we're also going to ask her how we can specifically be praying for her family, missionaries um, in Ukraine, fellow Christians, um, and the population in general. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio.